Have you ever thought about how many intersections we have in life? I, I mean, as we go through life, we have so many choices to make about which path we will follow. It's like when we're driving down the road and, you know, you come every once in a while to one of those five-way stop signs, you know, five-way stops, and you, you don't, you, or, or maybe a traffic circle, and you've got different <laughs> branches off of it, and you have to make a decision. Well, which way am I going to go? Sometimes we know the right path. Sometimes we don't. If you're like me, you've taken, in life, you've taken roads, some of them that have left that have led to great joy and then you've taken some that have led to problems wouldn't it be wonderful if we had a road map and knew exactly the best path to follow for every decision of life but we don't and that's where faith comes in all we can do is live and trust the Lord to lead us in the right path the wisest man who ever lived King Solomon gave us uh, some beautiful verses. I learned them as a child. Pull them up, please. And let's read them together. Ready? Go. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Because we do not always know the perfect path, we have to trust in a perfect God to show us the way. His Holy Spirit lives within each of His children to lead us into His paths of righteousness, the right path, the right paths for our lives. But even though we try to walk with the Lord, even though we try to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit, we still make mistakes. From, from my own experience, I've often gotten into trouble when I did not trust God's timing. I Listen, God's timing is every, everything. Did you hear me? God's timing is everything. Say that with me. God's timing is everything. Say it again. God's timing is everything. I want you to remember that. Remember it. When we get ahead of the Lord, it causes problems. Just as when we lag behind the Lord. The key is to be where God wants us, when God wants us there. We need to stay in His grace path. Now this week we celebrate Thanksgiving. Let us not forget to thank God for His grace that made it possible for us to be here. For us to live in this greatest of countries, America. But also to have an eternal home where we can live with our Savior forever. It's all because of God's grace. For the, for the believer, it's all. Life, death, eternity, it's all part of God's grace path and God's grace plan. In the last part of Paul's life and ministry, we see an example of this. Paul, the great man of faith, walking in the grace of God, was on the last journey of his life, headed for Rome. It was on this journey recorded by Luke that we see once more how God protected Paul and the people around him. It is a lesson on relying upon the grace of God, especially through the, through the storms that threaten us. It's a lesson on being thankful for God's transforming grace. 
Would you bow your heads with me as we go to the Lord and ask God's blessings and direction in His Word today. Father, as we pray today, we seek Your face. We bow before You and we thank You that You have given us Your Word. Lord, we have something better than a road map. We have Your own presence in our lives. You're always with us, no matter where we find ourselves. You're always with us. Lord, You love us. You're our Father in heaven and We believe in you. Lord, we sang that song, we believe. Lord, our life must be one of faith, of believing that your presence is real, that your power is real, that you have a purpose that is real for us, that it's greater than just this life, that it's an eternal purpose. God, today, when we look at Paul's life, help us look at our own lives. I pray, Father, that we will see something today. We will... That every person who hears this message will get something. The Holy Spirit will teach us something that will help us become stronger in our relationship with you. Stronger in our witness for you, Lord. We pray that. That God, that what lives need to be touched, we pray that you transform them today. What circumstances need to be changed, we pray transform them today. We want you to transform this world. One day, Lord Jesus, I was just thinking as we were praying, one day every knee will bow before you. All the earth will sing your praise one day. It's not happening today. There's more than half the world rejects you, doesn't believe in you. One day all the earth will shout your praise. One day all the earth will say, Great is the Lord. Father, I'm looking forward to that day. Come, Lord Jesus. While we live, while we have to live here, God, help us do our part. Help us be a tool, be tools in your hand so that we can help the world know about your amazing, transforming grace. Just like Paul did. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Transforming grace. I'll be in Acts chapter 27 today. We're nearing the end of our study in Acts. Only one more chapter to go. From the time... The church in Antioch commissioned Paul and Barnabas. Paul was constantly traveling. He went to Cyprus, the towns of southern Galatia, through Asia Minor, Macedonia, and Ephesus. Three times he made the return trip to Jerusalem. Now at last he departed Palestine for the last time, bound for the capital city of Rome and his appearance before Caesar. To a Roman citizen, the city of Rome was the center of the world. From the golden milestone in the Roman Forum, roads went out in every direction to all parts of the Roman Empire. It is while it, it is, this is why it, is, it was so important for Paul to get to Rome, because from there the gospel could go out in all directions, carried to the ends of the earth. Roman soldiers would hear the gospel, and some would be saved. Some Roman citizens would hear the gospel, some travelers through Rome would hear the gospel, and would leave that city and go in all directions, carrying with them the good news of Jesus Christ, the message of the transforming power of God's grace. Paul saw the Great Commission as his commission. 
Go into all the world, Jesus said, and preach the gospel. Paul saw it as his own commission, and you and I must see it as our commission. The Great Commission wasn't just the commission for Calvary Baptist Church or some church. The Great Commission that Jesus gave was your commission. It was your commission. You're in the Lord's army now, and you have been commissioned an officer in His army. And you are to go and you are to lead this world to Jesus. And so this trip to Rome was the culmination of Paul's life and ministry for the Lord Jesus. This was where God had intended for Paul to be all along. From the moment the resurrected Christ called him on the road to Damascus, every path Paul traveled was leading to this point of departure for Rome. And though it was his last journey, it was still a mission journey for Paul. Everywhere Paul went, every road he traveled, he considered a mission opportunity, an opportunity to plant the seeds of the gospel, to reveal Jesus to the people around him. And that's what we must do. That's what made God's path for Paul a grace path because it was lined with God's grace. As a matter of fact, every path God has laid out for us is a grace path. And we can see this in Paul's final journey. His journey is like our journey. So notice with me, first of all, God's grace path is a prescribed path. Everything God does follows His prescribed plan. The Lord never does anything accidentally or randomly. What God does, He planned to do from eternity past. And that's why His path for us is also an eternal path. Not that we are eternal, but His purpose for us is eternal. Before you were born, before your parents or grandparents were born, God had a plan for your life that would lead to His kingdom and His purposes. Listen to what God told Jeremiah about the grace plan for his life. Before I formed you, In the womb I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. How many people do you estimate have been touched through the centuries because Jeremiah followed God's grace path for his life? How many people do you think have been touched by Jeremiah's testimony in the Old Testament? We couldn't count them all, could we? There's no way to tell the millions of people who know God or know more about God because Jeremiah followed God's grace path for his life. Well, like Jeremiah, God's grace path for you was prescribed long before you arrived on planet Earth. But once you were born and God presented his plan to you, It was up to you to accept it or reject it. You could either go down His path or choose your own. It started with the Lord Jesus calling you to repentance and salvation. Paul told Titus, he said, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Who has it appeared to? All men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly, in the present age. That's what God wants for everyone. God appeared to you so that you could live soberly, righteously, and godly in this life and then, keep going, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself His own special people zealous for good works. Do you know what God is doing in your life? 
He's trying to get you on the right path. The path of, of goodness and godliness and purity. He's trying to get you on the, His grace path so that it will lead all the way into His kingdom. And guess what? One day we're going to take and we're going to put off these rags. That's right. We're going to put off the rags. And we're going to wear His robe of righteousness. We're going to be just like Jesus. I mean, you're talking about glowing. Folks, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, we look in the mirror today and we look and we see ourselves and as we grow older we say, man, there's another spot, you know? But one day, we're going to be free from all that. One day we're going to be with Jesus. And we're going to be glowing, folks. See, down here Jesus said, let your light shine, right? You know what he said? Let your light shine before men. He's not going to be telling you that in, the he in heaven because you are going to be shining. You're going to be shining with His light. Well, Paul understood that. He understood that he's going through this life. As he goes through this life, he has to be a witness for Jesus. He has to let His light shine. He has to point people to God's grace. And he understood that God's grace, that God's grace plan was a prescribed plan. And Paul said, I'm part, he knew, he said, I'm part of it. He had been a lost sinner, an enemy of Christ. When the Savior Jesus appeared to Paul, he called him to accept his grace and accept the path that would lead to his kingdom. And Paul, and Paul went on it. He jumped on it. Paul told Titus, God issues his call to accept his grace to every individual. And those who receive it, who receive the Christ who died for them, who begin that faith journey with Him, find that His path is one of righteousness and godliness in this life and eternal life and joy in the kingdom that is to come. And that's why Paul spent his adult life traveling around the, his world to take the gospel, the good news of salvation through God's grace and faith in Jesus Christ to everyone to Jews, to Gentiles, to Romans, to everyone. Who in your life needs the grace of God? Just think for a moment. Who do you know that needs God's grace? Well, God has a prescribed plan that's going to put you in their path so that you can show them how to get to Him. You understand that? It's personal, isn't it? It is. And so as we've seen in our study, Paul's mission followed God's prescribed plan, a plan that would change the world. And that's where we find Paul in chapter 27, following God's designed path of grace. Look with me at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 27. And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy... They delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the August, Augustan Regiment, the Imperial Regiment. So entering a ship of Adramidium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia, Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. We would see his name later on in the New Testament. He was... One, Luke and Aristarchus, these were friends of Paul, who ministered to him and helped him uh, through his journey. So, here we have Paul, 
And Luke said that Paul, he reminds us that Paul is, uh, is a prisoner. He's in chains. After Festus and, and King Agrippa determined that Paul had the right to a trial before the emperor, custody of Paul and some other prisoners was given to a Roman centurion named Julius, who was of the imperial guard. Julius and his prisoners boarded a ship from uh, Adramidium, a, a seaport of Messia, and the ship was probably a coasting vessel. In other words, it wasn't that large. It was, of course, there was a lot of people on it, but it, it was the kind of coat of boat that stayed near the shore. Its first stop was 70 miles north to the old Phoenician port of Sidon. While the ship loaded and unloaded, Julius the centurion allowed Paul to visit fellow Christians in Sidon and received food and supplies from them for his journey. Then we see verses 3 through 6. And the next day... We landed at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. And when we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. And there the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. The captain sailed the Ship to the lee is a nautical term. To the lee of Cyprus, to the, under the island for shelter, to escape the northwest winds. The ship then headed north to the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, and the offshore winds and westerly current that runs along this shore allowed the ship to head west for 15 days to Myra in Lycia. And there they probably docked at the port of Andriasi. Andreas, a very important port for ships, which carried Egyptian grain from Alexandria, Egypt, to Rome. And there, Julius commandeered an Alexandrian grain ship for Rome, a much larger ship. This ship would have been over 100 feet bow to stern. Now, on that ship, Julius took Paul and the other prisoners headed for Italy, but found that the headwinds made progress slow. Look at verses 7, seven and 8. When we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off of Snidus, the winds not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmone. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lassia. From Caesarea... To, and I've got a map. Look at all of these places where they travel. I mean, he's here he starts in Caesarea. It's a little bit hard to see. But this is his, this is his trip. He's going around the Lee of Cyprus to get into shelter. He's up here and moving down to Crete. He's at Fair Havens up in here. And then near Rhodes and then down to Crete. Uh, he, this, is his, this is his journey. You remember those three missionary journeys I showed you? He was going all over his world trying to t take the gospel throughout his world. There's Corinth. Uh, there's Sicily. Well, now he's on his final journey, and it's almost like he's traveling it again, but this time he's not going to stop. He's going all the way up to Puteoli and up to Rome. This is Paul's journey, his final missionary journey. With great detail, using nautical terms, Luke describes every island and port along the way. 
1848, uh, Scott J. Smith, a New Testament scholar and yachtsman, devoted a considerable portion of his life to study this final voyage of Paul. He pursued on-site investigation of the route. He, he went, he researched the ancient literary sources retain, uh, pertaining to uh, navigation. He went, visited the cities Paul visited on this journey, and, co- and he concluded that the account of the voyage we have here in Acts is an accurate description of the actual voyage from Caesarea to Puteoli, and it was written by a layman accustomed to sea travel, but not by a professional sailor. Well, that was Luke. Luke wrote the Acts. Luke was with Paul. He loved Paul. Luke was a physician, not a sailor, but Luke was a very educated man. And he could give us enough detail to help us see that the journey Paul made was a long and difficult journey. And it was filled with all kinds of twists and turns. This is his journey north and west and south and south and north and west and up and down. And right in here, we're going to look at that very treacherous part of his journey in just a few moments. Luke reminds us that Paul was still a prisoner. He had been, had been since he was taken by the Roman tribune in Jerusalem from the angry Jewish mob. Paul escaped scourging and mob violence to make his, this journey. But as Luke reveals, this path Paul traveled was slowed by contrary winds. Even when we're on God's path of grace, we're going to face opposing forces. Following Jesus never was meant to be easy because the path our Savior traveled was one of suffering and shame. On the cross, Jesus died for sins He did not commit. Suspended between heaven and earth, Jesus died for our sins, your sins and my sins, so that God through grace could offer us forgiveness and eternal life. When we receive Jesus, we, rece- we accept everything that goes along with following Jesus, which is a life of selflessness, dedication, even persecution. Whatever we're called to face, whatever contrary winds blow against us, these don't take God by surprise, and they shouldn't take us by surprise. Let me tell you what Jesus said to you, Christian brother or sister. Look at what Jesus said. Read, read this with me. Next slide, please. Read it with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. What did Jesus say you would have in this world? Tribulation. Tribulation is not a party. Tribulation is tough. It's hard. On God's prescribed path of grace, there are obstacles. But remember this, nothing can stop God from carrying out His divine purpose in the life of one who is completely devoted to Him. And this is our grace principle today. Let's read the grace principle. Ready? Nothing can stop God from accomplishing His divine purpose in the life of one who stays on His grace path. Paul was on a journey to take the message of God's grace through Jesus Christ to Rome. That was God's purpose for Paul And Paul, who loved the Lord with all his heart, was willing to trust the Lord with every part of this journey. Let me say 
to you from someone who uh, has always loved the sea, and I spent I've spent quite a bit of time on the water. A dangerous situation can arise at sea in just a moment. Those of you who do some offshore fishing know that. The wind can pick up and kick up enormous waves in just a matter of moments, really, in minutes. Even, even some of the largest ships, some of those massive container ships and, and uh, tankers and cruise ships, they've reported out in the deep blue sea, they've, shipping lanes, they've reported rogue waves over 100 feet high coming out of nowhere. In the middle of the ocean, even in a boat, even if you're in a little boat or a big boat, people are vulnerable. That's where we find Paul and his company. Look at verses 9 and 10. Now, when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised him, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Luke mentioned that the fast was over. In other words, that's the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, which is always in late September or October. So on the ancient Mediterranean, this was the most dangerous time for travel on the open sea. By November, nearly all sea travel had ceased. Paul knew this. He told the captain and crew that unless they stayed at Fair Havens for the winter, they would then they would, they would perish. But the professionals, and he said, unless you stay here, this voyage will end with disaster and much loss. Not only of the cargo and ship, but our, our lives are in danger. But they did not listen, did they? All those professionals on board, they didn't think Fair Havens was a suitable place to winter. It didn't provide a good enough protection from the northeasterly winter winds. They knew of another harbor not far west on Crete, which would, be, which would better protect them from a nor'easter. Look at verses 11 through 13. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening toward the southwest and northwest, and winter, and winter there. So they rejected Paul's counsel. And when the, when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. They rejected Paul's counsel and headed for Rome. Here was the first intersection. Should we set sail or should we stay? Paul said, stay. It's better to stay a while because setting sail is going to take you out of God's prescribed path and put you in great danger. They chose the wrong path and they would suffer for it. They would suffer a great loss when they left God's grace path. Friends, though God has a perfect path of grace for every person, that doesn't mean men will always choose that path. The majority of people in the world reject that path. And most of the time, people follow a path that's far from God's perfect path of grace. When we choose our way over God's way, we miss God's best. Will God abandon us when we Make a detour? Absolutely not. Not even when we make a wrong turn. The Lord still loves us and will help us. 
But when we choose to obey, disobey God and follow our own path, God will allow storms to overcome us. He must. Because if there were not consequences for disobeying God, then people would have no incentive to do the right thing. The path to blessing is lined with obedience to God. And when we obey God, we find that He is with us and He will protect us no matter how severe the storms. The sailors did not believe Fairhaven was a good place to winter, seeing it was more exposed to the winter winds, so they chose to make the voyage to Cape Matala. And then the six-mile voyage to Cape Matala, and then around the Horn, and northward another 30 miles to Phoenix. That was their plan. And in spite of Paul's warning... They believed they had made the right decision. How many people do you know are on the wrong path, but they think they're on the right path? Do you know anyone like that? Everything was getting ready to change. They were going to realize the error of their way. It's going to come crashing down on them. Crete, as they sailed around Crete, Crete is dotted with mountains, some of which are 7,000 feet high. When the ship rounded Crete, a huge wind of cyclone proportions. You know what a cyclone is. It's like a a hurricane, typhoon, hurricane. A wind of cyclone proportions came swirling through the Cretan mountains. Ancient ships were not built to withstand such winds. The sailors shortened sail and tried to make headway, but instead they were blown off course some 25 miles southeast to the small island of Clauda. This is where we see verse 14 through 20. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Euroclidon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. And when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. And fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirtis sands, they struck sail and were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed the next day, they lightened the ship. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. The sailors had done everything in their power to hold the ship together. They hauled the skiff or lifeboat they had been towing on board the ship, probably because it was full of water. Another reason it was, they were afraid it was going to smash into the, the stern of the ship. Then they frapped the ship. Frapping was wrapping cable around the center section, the center hull of the ship, four or five times to strengthen the hull against the constant pounding of the waves to keep the ship's tackle from smashing into the sides inside of the ship. Remember, there was tackle on board. It was slamming into everything. They threw the tackle over. Excess tackle as well, as well as any other excess supplies. For days, the storm-battered company, expert seamen and Roman, God, Roman soldiers, for days the storm battered these people as well as the prisoners. And there in the middle of that storm with all these desperate people was Paul, the faithful servant of Jesus Christ. Paul was going through this storm as well, and it was as if the sea was trying to prevent this man of God from completing the journey Christ had laid out before him. But Paul heard God's voice through the storm. Listen, in the middle of a 
deafening storm, Paul heard God's voice. And what God said would change everything. Notice with me, secondly, God's grace path is a protected path. It reminds me of another story. When Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat, remember that story on the Sea of Galilee and His disciples were battling a storm and that storm was keeping them from completing their journey. And so Jesus arose and said to the sea and (laughs) in the original language, shh, be quiet. (laughs) I like it. I love it. Shalom. Peace be still. Shalom. Shh. Be quiet. Jesus spoke to a raging storm at sea. As if we would speak to a little child. The God of the universe has that power and control. Shh, Jesus said. And the storm silenced. Have you ever been in through a storm in your life and you just wanted Jesus to say, Shh, be quiet. Because you knew when the Lord would say, Be quiet. When you knew that when the Lord would speak, it would calm that storm. Well, here was Paul on a similar journey. And Jesus was definitely with him. They were in that storm because those men would not listen to the word that God gave Paul. All those people around Paul. Have you ever felt like there were people around you not listening to God? They were no, these people were no match for this storm at sea. And after days of nothing but clouds, wind, and darkness, they, couldn't e- they didn't even know where they were. They couldn't navigate by the stars. They had given up all hope, all except one man, the man who had always relied upon the Lord through every storm he faced. Verse 21. But after long abstinence from food, what's Paul doing? He's fasting and praying. But after long absence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only that of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as if, just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Now, while the professionals have been exhausting all their efforts at saving the ship, Paul had been in intense prayer and fasting, listening for the voice of the Lord. When God spoke and not before, Paul stood up and delivered God's message. Paul said, you should have listened to me. But since you didn't, since your reliance upon your own timing and reasoning has put you in a very dangerous, life-threatening situation, now you must rely on the grace of God. His grace path is one in which you will give up your ship, but save your life. Notice that Paul did not speak. Until God spoke. God knew just when to deliver His message of grace. After these men had exhausted all hope in themselves. Friends, let me tell you something. People will not really receive the grace of God until they are willing to put aside their own agendas. 
until they're willing, until they quit trusting in their own ability. To serve Christ means to surrender to Christ. It means to completely trust Christ. Think about our pilgrim forefathers freezing and starving during the first winter storm they had in this new land. To whom could they turn but God Himself? Think about the storms you've endured. When did you really turn to God? Was it not when you saw no other way? We do not release everything to God until we've exhausted our own strength. But the truth is that it is our strength, our reason, our selfish wills that often get us into the darkness and the storms that we face in the first place. How much better to walk with the Lord every day. Every day. To follow His path every day. Because they failed to follow God's path, these men with Paul... We're going to lose everything at sea. But because Paul was with God, on God's path, the men would save their lives. God would do it for Paul's sake. Paul would lose nothing. He wasn't worried about losing anything because all Paul had was Jesus. Folks, when you get to the point in your life where you feel like all you really have is Jesus then losing something, losing stuff is not going not to shake you out of your frame. You understand? When you realize that all this is just stuff around us, and all we really have is Jesus, then Jesus is what you're going to cling to most. Verses 27 through 36. Now, when the 14th night had come, wow! I, when I went through Florence for three nights, I mean three terrible days, or you've been through hurricanes, but 14 days, when the 14th night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land, and they took soundings. You know what soundings are? They drop a, a weight in the ocean, and they, they measure the depth. They took soundings. They took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. When they'd gone a little further, they took soundings again. They found 15 fathoms is getting shallower. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern to hold them and prayed or slow them down and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, they let down the skiff into the sea and they, under pretense, they were under pretense of putting out anchors from the, from the bow, the prow, they, they let down the skiff, and Paul saw what was happening. He said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. And then the soldiers went and cut away the ropes of the skiff, and they let it fall away. They let it fall off. Some of them still didn't get it, did they? The faithless sailors were attempting to take the lifeboat and escape, leaving the rest on board. Paul saw what they were doing. He alerted the centurion, reminding him that God was now in control. And they were all in this together. The centurion believed Paul, and the Roman soldiers cut the ropes to this gift, and there went their lifeboat into the sea. Now they really were in the hands of God. Their lifeboat was gone. Verse 33. And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today's the fourteenth day you've, you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. 
Therefore I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your own survival, since not a hair of your head will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat, and they were all encouraged. And they took food themselves. And in all, Luke said, we were 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. They were getting serious about God, weren't they? They ate, they were encouraged by what Paul told them. They had faith enough to throw their food overboard. They weren't going to need it anymore. They had gotten rid of the lifeboat, now they got rid of their food. They were completely in the hands of a mighty and gracious God. And those are secure hands, don't you think? Amen? And notice how many there were, 276 people. That's a lot of life. And it was proving to be a powerful faith lesson. God, through Paul, was once again transforming life, life through His amazing grace. I want to tell you that through the darkness, Paul's light was shining. Verse 39 through 44. When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea, meanwhile loosing the rudder ropes and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore but striking a place where the two seas met they ran the ship aground and the prow stuck fast the bow stuck fast and remained immovable but the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves and the soldiers plan was to kill the prisoners lest any of them should swim away and escape but the centurion wanting to save paul kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was, would you read that last part? And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. How many escaped? Isn't that what God said to Paul? Isn't that exactly what God said? The ship would be lost, but not one life. Friends, how many of you believe that what God says will happen, will happen? Amen? Isn't, isn't it true that when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, when we give Him our lives and our futures, that's when God does His most mighty work in us and through us. You see, when we give ourselves to Him, He's responsible for us. When we surrender everything to Him, He takes care of us. He doesn't always do what we think He should do, but He always does what is best because He loves us and His path for our lives and our eternity is perfect. You know, I wouldn't have put Paul through this storm, would you have? Paul was not a guilty party here, guilty of, <laughs> doing, of choosing a wrong path. Paul was the only one on the right path. But I want you to think about something. They lost the ship, they lost the cargo, they lost the lifeboat, but what did they gain? They gained the knowledge that Paul's God, that the Jesus Christ he served, was the real God and able to save them. Now, I don't know the big picture, folks. Listen, I don't. Why did Paul go through this? I don't know. Perhaps one of the Roman soldiers believed in Jesus and was saved and then took the gospel to another land. I don't know. 
Perhaps the centurion did. Perhaps the sailor did. Perhaps the story of God's grace was told by these sailors on many other ships. I don't know. When we're going through storms, we don't know the whys of it. Why did I have to go through this storm? I don't know. We may never know on this side of heaven why things happen the way they happen. But what we know, no matter what, is what Paul learned in Romans 8, 28. Would you read it with me? Change the slide, please. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. God said that. He promised that. He promised to work everything out for your good. Do you believe that? Amen. Do you believe it? Do you believe God? Amen. What was Paul doing in the middle of that storm when they were frantic and hopeless and depressed and fighting for their lives? What was Paul doing? He was praying and giving thanks. When he was in a Philippian jail with Silas, remember the story? We saw it. What was Paul doing? He was what? Praying and giving thanks. This Thursday, when you gather with family and friends, what should we do? Pray and give thanks. And when you're going through your storms, don't forget to pray and give thanks. And that's a very important lesson for all of us because, folks, this storm they faced is symbolic of any storm that we might face. You know, they, they gave it a, a name, remember? They, they called it the Euroclidon, the name of that storm. But we have other names for our storms, don't we? Broken home, wayward child, financial crisis, cancer, death, Alzheimer's, dementia, pain. We've got all kinds of names, don't we, of our storms. But let me tell you something. No matter how dark, no matter how powerful that storm may be, God is greater. God is greater. And He is with you. He's with you in that ship. He is with you. The ship was going to break up, but God's hand was going to be strong enough to get Paul to where he was supposed to be. And folks, let me tell you something. The lesson's the same for us as it was for Paul and his company. When we find ourselves in storms, whether we've, been, whether we've made them for ourselves or, we're just part of, or, that, or we are just part of something bigger that's happening, pray and give thanks to God for His grace. That's why it's so important for us to stay in the will of God, in the path that He laid out for us and rely upon His grace to bring us through. That's what happened in 1620. When a group of Puritan separatists from Europe set sail across the North Atlantic to find a home where they could worship God freely. They saw America as a new Jerusalem. A place for them to worship freely and wait for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. They believed it was their duty to carry the gospel to this new land and lead the Native Americans to faith in Jesus Christ. Their journey across the Atlantic, the Atlantic was very treacherous. They had their own storms, sailing for more than two months 
across the 3,000 miles of open ocean, the 102 passengers of the Mayflower, including three pregnant women and more than a dozen children, were squeezed below decks in crowded, cold, and damp conditions. They suffered crippling bouts of seasickness and survived on meager rations of hardtack biscuit and dried meat the smell and stench of illness and sickness down below, and the freezing cold on deck in the elements, and they were only allowed to come out for a little short periods and go back, that would have been pretty miserable. When they arrived at Plymouth Rock, Massachusetts, they started their colony and suffered through the winter. By spring, only about half of their number had survived. The rest had died. They would probably have all died had it not been for God sending the Native Americans to help them. In March 1621, after months of watching the pilgrims from a distance, Joaquin, the Wampanoag's Massasoit or Paramount leader, approached the English to negotiate. The Wampanoag, out of compassion, and I believe through God's grace, helped the pilgrims plant their first crops and harvest. And in autumn of 1621, they participated in a harvest feast that generations of Americans have commemorated as Thanksgiving. What did they do when they got through that winter and they had food to eat? When, they, when everything broke up, but God got them through, what did they do? <laughs> they did what we need to do, what Paul did through storm, the storm they faced. They prayed, and what else? Gave thanks. These brave people of God, having been persecuted at home in England, risked everything for the hope of fulfilling what they believed was God's will for them. They found God's grace path, just as Paul did. And what did they do in their storm? They prayed and gave thanks. They trusted in the grace of God to see them through, and He did. And today, you and I, are living in the greatest nation on earth because of the faith of these forefathers who gave up everything for the grace path that God had laid out for them. Charles Stanley said, Grace builds our confidence in the Sovereign Lord. Nothing looks hopeless when we focus on Him instead of on our problems. Let's bow together. Today, I just want you to be thankful. Let's be thankful. Let's pray and thank God. First, let's thank Him for saving us. Jesus, He is your lifeboat. He's the only one that's going to get you to shore. He's the only one. He's the only one that's going to get you to heaven's shore. If you have Jesus in your heart, thank Him today. Thank Him for saving you. Thank Him for putting you on a path that led to His grace and forgiveness and eternal life. Thank you for the people that He used to show you Jesus to help you get to the cross. Thank you. Thank Him for it. Pray and thank Him. What is God, from what has God rescued you? What's, from what's, through what storms has He brought you? How has He rescued you from harm? How has He saved you from the storms, from the sickness, from the pain? Thank Him for that. Thank Him. 
Thank you. Thank Him for guiding you. Have there been times when you could have really, really fouled up? Maybe you did. And He rescued you. Thank Him. Maybe He protected you from a wrong path. Thank Him. Maybe you need to be on the path. You need to be saved. He's laid a grace path out for you. Will you, will you get on it with Jesus? Would you pray with me and say, Dear Jesus, I need you. There's darkness and sin and evil around me. It's in my life. Please forgive me, Jesus. I believe you died on the cross. You shed your blood. You suffered to pay for my sins. Forgive me, Jesus. Come into my life and be my Savior. I accept you today. I accept that path. I will travel it no matter where it leads. No matter what I have to do. I, I want to be on that path with you, Jesus. I accept you as my Savior and my Lord. I will follow you even if it means I have to suffer for you. I'm not going to quit, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. Boy, if you prayed that prayer, that's the greatest prayer of all. You're on the path now. Let's see if it's real. What in your life, for what do you have to be thankful? Maybe it's your family, the love of people, your church. Right now, just take a moment and thank Him. Pray and thank Him. Father, thank You. I, I could stand up here all day and I could start praising You and I would go the whole day and I still would not be able to say thank You enough for what You've done for me. But I pray that all of us will have a thankful heart. That God, that we, especially in this wonderful week of Thanksgiving, that we will not forget to let our light shine as we thank you, as we let others know to whom we're thankful. We pray and thank you, Jesus, for just everything you are to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'll be at the bottom down here. If I can help encourage you and pray with you, I'll be glad to, Brother Steve. Stand with us as we sing together, I Surrender All. Let's say.